This episode is brought to you by Evermill. Evermill makes the world's most elegant spice rack that features text-to-refill organic spices in compostable packets, as well as a suite of kitchen products that help you cook so you can focus on sharing meals with the ones you love. This episode is brought to you by Equipped. Equipped is a modern luxury fitness brand that creates stylish, compact, portable, and versatile fitness equipment that will inspire you to move anytime, anywhere, whether you have half a minute or half an hour. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. This is episode 140, and today I sat down with Emily Griffith, the founder and CEO of Lil Bucks. Lil Bucks is a sprouted buckwheat brand that offers a healthier alternative to granola and snacking with their grain-free superfood clusters and sprouted buckwheat crunch that you can enjoy on top of your smoothies, yogurt, oatmeal, or even in your salads. Emily and I talked about her struggles with ADHD and feelings of shame, how she hired a burnout coach to help her get back on track, and how she fell in love with buckwheat while living in Sydney, Australia. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to click subscribe, tell all your friends, and you can check us out on stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Emily, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. I'm excited to hear your story in building Lil Bucks. Did I say it right? Yes, that's right. Lil Bucks. It's like little, but rolling like Lil, L-I-L. Yeah. You know, keeping it chill, keeping it casual. (laughs) (laughs) I love all the play on words that you do with buckwheat. It's hilarious. It's irresistible. I mean, cluster bucks. Cluster bucks. Go buck wild. I saw that one. Buck yes. Yes. (laughs) Buck yes. Do you ever get people like throwing in an F, you know? Do you ever get like... It is. We do have like a lot of funny stories of like parents with their little kids. Little kids actually really enjoy the little bucks and the cluster bucks. They'll be like, mommy, where are my cluster bucks? And they'll be like, what did you say? (laughs) They like mishear a little kid. It might offend everyone and 200 people, but you know, if you're not offending anyone, maybe... (laughs) <laughs> I feel like from a brand perspective, if you're not pissing someone off, you're just not doing something right. Right. Like, you know, you want to be shaking up. You want to be memorable. I mean, look at liquid death. Murder your thirst. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's, yeah, that's intense stuff. <laughs> it's intense. Like murder. <laughs> right. You're just oh, talking I'm... about an F-bomb here and there. Yeah. It's chill compared to murder. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, let's, um, we can get started from the very beginning. I'd love to hear kind of what it was like growing up, where you're from originally, what was childhood like, what'd your mom and dad do? Did you have siblings? I know there's a bunch of questions in one thing, but you get the idea. So I grew up in the Midwest in a pretty 
typical Midwest America household. So in the suburbs of Chicago and, and then Northern Indiana, mom and dad, I'd stay home mom. I was the oldest of four, two girls, two boys. So me, sister, and then two brothers. Super fun. Cause you were, if you were the oldest of that many kids, were you like babysitting a lot? Were you kind of like being the the second mom or no, that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Maybe in some ways, like I I'm kind of a space cadet and really ADHD. So my mom says I was always moving, always running around. So she put, so she didn't put those responsibilities on you basically. Yeah. They're like, you don't seem like an oldest child. You're not giving me that vibe. They're like, you seem like a youngest child. But I mean, certainly there were some things. I think like, especially as the oldest child, you're pressured. And my, both my parents come from corporate America, like very successful careers, like mom in marketing, dad in accounting and law. So we got like the gamut covered in like the corporate world. Yeah. Looking back, especially with two corporate parents, why entrepreneurship? Like, can you look back as a child and or in at your childhood and say, yeah, I was pretty entrepreneurial and this is, you know, kind of who I am and why I started this. I honestly can't think of anything else that would make more sense for me, given just what I'm good at, how I operate. Like I tried to do a corporate job out of college and it just never was a fit. Um, even as a little kid, I remember in our neighborhood in Chicago, we would I mean, we were always making businesses. We had kapookies, which were cupcake cookies, which basically was just the muffin top, I'm pretty sure, which is genius. And there was like another time instead of like a lemonade stand, we were mixing together different concoctions of sodas and renaming them and selling them. I didn't know I had ADHD until I was 29, but looking back, definitely a little crazy ADHD child. So you see a lot of entrepreneurs end up being ADHD, so not too surprising. Especially, I mean, even high school and college, like I did not learn in the classroom. And I just, I think I was grateful that my parents still raised me to their like reinforcing that you're a smart kid. And so I didn't, because I didn't learn in the traditional environment, I didn't just like say, all right, peace out school. I don't care. But I just did things my own way. So I like did not pay attention in any class. That just did not happen. I would do my homework at weird times. I don't know. Like it doesn't, you know, like the typical schedule of like learn while you're in class and then after school, do your homework. No, it needs to be at weird times and even at work. Once I started working after school, university, I was like, I'm by working from home wasn't as big of a thing. I'm like, I work way better from home and like in random places and random times. And I don't know how to explain that, what's wrong with me. Maybe it was just that entrepreneurship or something not typical corporate America is gonna be better suited for me. I'm similar, learning by doing is a, is definitely how I learn best and I don't learn well in a classroom. I just get bored out of my mind. So. As a kid, so you were, you know, a little rambunctious and it sounds like you kind of had these entrepreneurial like characteristics, I guess could be the word. And then, so what did you want to be when you grew up and what kind of path did you start following? So my mom was in marketing and I always really admired. She was so creative. Even when she like led our Girl Scouts one year, we had the coolest crafts and so much fun, really cool games that she would make up. And she was in marketing. So I was like, oh, well, even as a little kid, I was always fascinated in advertisements and 
how we came up with how they, not we, I was not involved, but like how they came up with the typography or the photos, even in high school, I was like, I think I want to do marketing. Like I didn't even really know what that meant besides that communication was interesting and selling things and that my mom did it. But I was like, I think that makes sense for me. I like communication. I like design. I like writing. Just like this general like aptitude for art. So in college, I ended up studying marketing and graphic design, which is like what I actually ended up doing. So you went to school at Indiana University. You said you spent some time in Sydney studying abroad. Yeah, I actually got a scholarship to go a semester anywhere in the world for free. So I'm like, what is the most expensive place and what is the farthest? And that was Sydney. They have since adjusted it because anyone who got that scholarship was choosing like Sydney or Copenhagen and it was getting too expensive. (laughs) But it was a great experience. I ended up interning at an ad agency there and just made some really great friends. So after school, lived in Chicago a few years, I ended up moving back to Australia for another job in advertising. How did you realize you had ADHD? You said that you didn't find out until you were 29. And so how did you end up finding out? There were things in life that I struggled with, but I don't think it was ever enough that I had gone to see a therapist or I just didn't even know I wasn't really literate in mental health. What kind of things did you struggle with? Even simple things like, I mean, responding to texts is my kryptonite staying organized, paying attention. And again, that was never really a problem in school. I just, I mean, besides pissing off some teachers, but which I guess was a problem sometimes, but I was fine. But I always found workarounds and ways to make it work. But it was when I started a business where there are a lot, and I don't have a co-founder. So I put a lot myself, but like things like shipping out orders, like things where it's like A to B, organization, admin processes, like that, that is the death of me, like where I can design an entire brand and website and product strategy in like five hours doing some of these things that you have to do to run a business were so hard for me. And I was like building up a lot of like shame and stress around it and still trying to force myself to do it because I'm like, well, I should be able to do these things. Like, Right. So you started getting frustrated with yourself and maybe putting yourself down and you're like, why am I giving myself a hard time? And why am I not able to get these detailed things done? What were some of the steps that you took once you kind of realized, I think I have a problem here and I don't know what to do about it. Like, what did you do? I did try because I was getting really, really overwhelmed because I was still trying instead of, and it's like one of the most important things is know thyself and especially in entrepreneurship, knowing what you're good at, what you're not, what triggers you, what lights you up, what really stresses you out and building, you know, your tasks and days around with those things in mind. And I was still learning a lot that I started the business when I was 25. So in general, you're still learning a lot about yourself, but then I started, you know, and so instead of giving myself like compassion and (laughs) cutting myself some slack or doing the classic thing, Like, oh, I'm really bad at these things. Maybe that's something I should outsource or bring in a co-founder or hire for these things you're bad at. I'm like, no, I will figure this out. Like, just so determined to do it by myself. Got super burnt out, totally crashed and burned. I was still working full-time when I started Little Bucks. I actually had two businesses going at once. I mean, I was working like 80, 90 hours a week. 
always on, like no space to think, like didn't even know what had happened. Like six months would go by and I'm like, what? I'm still drowning in work. And finally, it just got to a point where my brain was almost shell-shocked and I went, it was in the summer, uh, it was in July and it was around the 4th of July in the Midwest, especially that's like lake season, try to find a friend with a lake, <laughs> go relax in someone's cabin or something. And so I remember being up in Northern Wisconsin and just not working for the first day. And like, I don't even know how long that I didn't work for three and a half weeks. I just couldn't kind of recovered there. It was just like, wow, you need to build in some space to take care of yourself and do less. And clearly when you have more time to, and space to think and energy, you can recognize some, you know, what's important, what's not another kind of thing with ADHD can be difficulty prioritizing and my brain I mean to this day I still have to really think about that yeah the work stacks up pretty high and I think it's really tough as a founder to prioritize in general and then just on top of that you just never feel like you're making very much progress because there's always so much to do and as your businesses grow like especially if you're a small business or an early early startup you have less resources, you're doing everything. And you're like, oh, when I get to this level, things will shake out or I'll have this higher, I'll have more money. And I talk to entrepreneurs that are like the next level up from me. And they're like, you'll be dealing with the same problem, you know, maybe just with an extra zero at the end of it, but it doesn't end. So it's more about building systems and mindfulness in your life to take care of yourself because it's just, that's part of the game is, there is a never ending list with entrepreneurship. And for me, it was always like, oh, once I get here, I'll stop, I'll chill. And I had to learn this a few times. There was that big, big, big crash and burn. I think that was 2019, right when I started Little Box. But I've had some micro crashes since then. And every time I learn more and more and like, you know, build better systems to deal with it. We've got to be able to carve out time for ourselves to recharge, especially as the founder. Because if you're not willing to put aside time for yourself to recharge, then that means you're not really doing that for your team and that your team needs that. I've talked to a lot of other entrepreneurs and specifically for me in the food industry and, you know, Q4 is always really big, especially, I mean, health brands, we're planning for a big start of the new year, new you, January is always massive. So burnout is so prevalent. And I think a lot of people are going through it, especially in Q4. The biggest thing someone gave me this advice these problems don't go away and you have to be okay with uncertainty. You have to be okay with your list not being complete. So sometimes, especially when I get really overwhelmed or burnt out, or I'm noticing like, I don't even want to get on this call with my team. And I'm so excited about my team. I'm so excited about everything this business is doing is taking a day completely off or two. It doesn't need to be this big, long, eat, pray, love, retreat of life from life and healing yourself if you can do that and you need to do that that's wonderful but i think for a lot of people it's just sprinkling in do your med 20 minutes walk in the morning work out eat healthy take a day off i know for myself when i first started my my first company i mean i was so so into it like 125 percent. you know you're just like working all the time you sacrifice your friendships, you sacrifice your partnership with your spouse, if you have one, you with your kids, like it's tough. 
And I think that's really hard when our identities get really wrapped up in our companies to kind of accept that because there's so much, it's hard to separate those two. But if at the end of the day, like the only thing that really matters is like our family, our health, the people we love and ourselves, like taking care of ourselves and then the business. It's so important on a day-to-day business, uh, day-to-day to take off, you know, five, six o'clock, you're done. Like you can check out for at least three hours, like at least take three hours to have dinner, be with your friends and family, whatever it is. And if you have to answer an email before you go to sleep, fine. But I think that like being able to turn off throughout the day is important. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When was the last time you looked in your spice drawer? If you're like me, you probably have to look at it every time you cook, which is a lot. And it looks like a complete disaster. Different size seasonings, different brands, it's a mess and totally uninspiring. That's until I discovered Evermill, the most beautiful and inspiring spice rack I've ever seen. And it looks gorgeous both on your countertop for everyone to see and compliment, or it looks great in your spice drawer too. Not to mention, they send you refills and compostable packets that you can get to delivered straight to your door simply by sending a text message. So if you're looking for an amazing gift idea, you have to check it out. They also just released two new products, a white marble salt well and an aluminum pepper mill, perfect for the person who you think has everything. You can get 15% off by using the promo code stairway15 on evermill.com. That's 15% off site-wide for the first time ever using the code stairway15 at evermill.com. Do you struggle to find time to go to the gym or even just work out at home somehow? What about the ugly weights you're probably hiding in your closet or under your bed? Out of sight, out of mind, am I right? Meet Equipped, a female-founded luxury fitness brand with a no-pressure approach to movement that creates gorgeous weights that look so good, you can place their U-shaped weight called the U-bar on your coffee table and your friends will probably think it's a new art piece. Or if you're on the go, just throw on their U-wrap super stylish vegan leather ankle weights so that you can get a little workout in while running your errands in style. Featured in everything from Vogue to the Financial Times, Equipped makes it easier to move through life. And if you're looking for a great gift idea this holiday season, you can get 20% off on EquippedMovement.com using the promo code STAIRWAY20. That's 20% off luxury fitness equipment using the code STAIRWAY20 on EquippedMovement.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. Tell us the story of how you came up with this whole concept for your business. Where were you? What was the aha moment? And I know your story is like on the back of these little packages. I've read your little story, the buckwheat story. The buckwild, why I'm buckwild. But yeah, so... I was, when I was living in Australia, working at an ad agency, one weekend I was by like Bondi Beach, having an acai bowl, living my best life, and just was really blown away. So this cafe used sprouted buckwheat seeds on the smoothie bowl instead of like your standard sugary granola, which I've never really wanted. That's just always what comes with a smoothie bowl. And I was obsessed with the crunch of these seeds. And then on top of it just felt really amazing after eating the smoothie bowl like really full satisfied 
energized, not sluggish. And I was full for a while after and I'm like, what is this magic? And I literally went back to the cafe and was like, what are these cool little crunchy seeds? Why is this bowl the best smoothie bowl? That's so satisfying and energizing. Like what the heck? And they're like, oh yeah, it's the sprouted buckwheat. Um, and that's the crunchy seeds. Turns out buckwheat is gluten and grain free. Technically they're fruit seeds. And so me being someone who gets really excited about things, especially in food, like growing up, I was always looking for like healthy alternatives to unhealthy food. And I'm like, these little seeds are nuggets of genius for the kitchen. And I was just obsessed with using them every day, buying just bulk bags of sprouted buckwheat in Australia and using them as a crunch on smoothies, oatmeal, salads, like using it as a replacement recipes that would normally call for oats, making granola out of it. And then when I was getting ready to move back to the U.S., literally no brand in the U.S. is focused on buckwheat, which is so surprising. And then in general, in the U.S., buckwheat is mostly enjoyed. Gen Pop will probably say like they maybe had like some gross buckwheat pancakes at some point and never ate them again. Buckwheat is normally used as a flour, so it's really dense. Or if you're Russian or Eastern European, you might you probably grew up with kasha, which is like cooked buckwheat porridge, basically. Or so, but it and buckwheat is also what is used to make soba noodles. So those are the main uses for buckwheat in the U.S. And it grows really well in the U.S. It's amazing for soil health. So it was just kind of this no-brainer. I had no idea what I was doing. Again, I was 25 when I moved back to the U.S. And I was like, oh, I'm a graphic designer, like digital marketing. I'll whip up this cool website. I'll start selling it at fitness markets, farmers, fitness festivals, farmers markets. Hoorah. And this will just take off. You know, it'll be chill. You're laughing. So I assume that's not what happened. No, like literally day one. I mean, three, I was up till like three in the morning the night before, like filling bags, like the, the reality set in real quick on how hard this was going to be. <laughs> and so how did that affect your motivation? The fire you had to keep going? I feel like a lot of like sane people would probably have quit by this point, but there's never been a doubt in my mind. I feel like I was like born on the planet to bring buckwheat to the people. And I was always so motivated by, and especially in the early days when I was the one like at farmer's market selling this and seeing that moment of excitement. And this was in Chicago too. So like the Midwest is not like the health food capital of the U.S. Chicago is more known for hot dogs than sprouted buckwheat, at least yet. And seeing them light up the way that I did in Australia, it was just kind of made me feel connected that experience and then bringing that to more people that's really what motivated me like the first three years then I had to find deeper motivation and like there's just so many things and especially in the breakfast category where either things are made from nuts or like gluten containing things and those can be upsetting on the stomachs for different reasons and we have people right in there like you literally have changed my like life which is so dramatic but it's just such a great swap for especially breakfast, lunch foods, and then without sacrificing the taste. So you get that similar eating experience, but you don't feel like crap after. You have some interesting flavors. The matcha one, I was chomping on some of these cluster bucks today. Matcha cookie. I guess with these cluster bucks, you're supposed to just like snack on them or you put them in something. Yeah, it's kind of funny little single packets I definitely eat by myself it's a great travel snack but it is funny sometimes I feel like we have an identity crisis over it because people we've surveyed our customers a million times we're like 
please tell us how you eat these cluster blocks. And everyone's like, granola and snack. I snack granola. It's always like nearly 50-50. And then even in grocery stores, now, for example, we're in a few divisions of Kroger, which is a pretty like typical mainstream grocery store. They're in the granola section because there isn't some like super hardcore, healthy, raw, superfood snack section. So that's where it makes sense. But then in something like Whole Foods, we're in what they call functional snacks, which is where you'll find other like hemp-based clusters or Navita superfood squares and the gluten-free bites that are like nut-based energy balls. So I think that category is developing. Yeah, and that's something we've talked about. And actually for now, at least we have some really cool bar brands we're working with that are about to launch some flavors with sprouted buckwheat in it as the crunch instead of like a crispy quinoa or something worse. That's awesome. Yeah, they're really interesting flavors. You've got golden chai with lemon, chocolate sea salt. That one was really good. I'm not like a matcha fan. So the matcha one was like, I don't, I was like, do I, am I supposed to drink a matcha latte, matcha latte with this, you know, or like, do I dip it in it? You know, <laughs> what do I do with this? I would say that one's the most polarizing because it's like, you either like matcha or. And then the coconut maple is pretty good, but I'm still stuck on, yeah, like kind of what to do other than snack. I'm not a really, like, I don't really eat yogurt. I do a lot of salad so I can put these in salads, which are good. The golden chai on salad or um, a curry is actually life-changing. It's so good. It almost adds that crunch that you might get from a nut. And then the slight, slight sweetness from the maple syrup that's the binding ingredient on the cluster bucks is really nice in salads and curries. Did you get any of the everything bagel seasoning? Yes. That's great for like avocado toast. Yeah, that if you're, you know, you're like salad, toast savory Hmm. like even for thanksgiving we did this harissa honey carrot recipe and then the everything buck seasoning on top instead of a daca and it was it's just great little pantry staple (laughs) right right the cluster bucks for you if you're not like you don't eat granola or do yogurt smoothie bowls oatmeal which a lot of our customers do that than the snack. So even now that we have these single serve cluster bucks, we pitched that to a couple airlines, fingers crossed, and then even in airports, because it's like such a good travel snack because their buckwheat's a complete amino acid protein, really high in prebiotic fiber. I think a lot of people know about probiotics because they're like kombucha and good gut bacteria, but you need the prebiotics to be able to like harvest <laughs> the probiotics. So again, yeah, it just feels really good. And especially when you're traveling and usually dehydrated or eating crap, the cluster bucks are a lifesaver. Like it's crazy how you can do so many different things when you like build a brand around an ingredient. Right. And yeah, it's kind of, especially we like to leverage our direct to consumer platform. I think what we're learning and like speaking of ADHD, like there's so many ideas I have with Buckwheat and I get so excited about it, which is why we've focus on leveraging partnerships because we can't afford to just have like 18 product lines of all the cool things we could do with buckwheat yet at least but um you know with the everything buck seasoning for example that was that's a direct to consumer only product it's in a couple cute boutiques here and there but so it's like a great cute looking gift 
Speaking of retail partners, I know you launched in a bunch of retail stores this year. Can you kind of talk to us about your retail strategy and, and kind of how that's been going and what it's been like to try to sell into these retailers? Right. We've had an interesting experience in retail. And again, like I've learned so much because I didn't come from CPG or retail and started this when I was 25. So there were a lot of like trips and mistakes made like any business, but retail is really intense and it's its own beast. But first we actually, so our product line, we haven't even talked about yet, which is the original product line, Little Bucks. It's sprouted buckwheat crunch. And they're literally just the sprouted buckwheat seeds. Like the original is just sprouted buckwheat seeds. And then we have cacao and cinnamon and matcha vanilla, matcha, your favorite. And then what they're used as a crunch on, smoothies, oatmeal, yogurt. They're very much a pantry staple. They sell really well online because they're paleo. A lot of the keto brands sell super well in these specialized diets online. And so that was our first product line. Right before the pandemic, we got Whole Foods Midwest, the Midwest region, 51 stores, decided they wanted to bring in Lil Bucks. And I was so excited. But our, our whole marketing plan was like, we need to have brand ambassadors in every Midwest city we're in and basically copy what I did in Chicago and like be sampling it at stores. Cause if you see like these random superfood seeds on the shelf and you don't know what to do with them, it's collecting dust. And of course we were set to launch in March of 2020. So that went like seamlessly. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, most stores like we didn't even get on the shelf for nine months, which is brutal. And Knowing what I know about retail now, I'm like, that's just not good. But obviously we weren't a priority, an emerging random superfood brand versus like mac and cheese and canned goods and things people are freaking out about. Like, it's just not the priority uh, for anyone but me. <laughs> so it was really hard. Like that whole marketing plan crumbled. And that's where I learned, you know, I was thinking as well, this is where Cluster Bucks came into play. It was like, we need a product that has buckwheat in it. Like our mission is spreading the love of buckwheat by delicious products, but is something that can sell itself off the shelf. Like it's in a format consumers already know how to eat. Like with Loopy, for example, they did bars and pasta. Everyone knows what those are. And so clusters, granola, people know actually what that is and how to use it, how to eat it. That was more approachable. So we started developing that and that's what we're going into retail in. So really quick, I'm curious, because you said that you had this little bucks kind of original sprouted crunch, right? And you're saying that's what you guys initially started with. But in order to sell into retail, you had to have a different type of product essentially to appeal to the consumers in those stores, right? So is that accurate? Did, and did you have a conversation with Whole Foods then, and they were like, you should do this? Or did you come up with that idea? And what are those dynamics look like? Like if someone has a product today and they're looking at it and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to get into retail and I don't know if they're going to like this product or if maybe we do another type or like, how do you navigate that? Right. Well, especially those big retailers. I mean, you need to go in. I, we brought on a product strategy advisor um, who did 18 years at General Mills. So she like, has spent her whole career looking at the shelves, evaluating the entire set. Where is there an opportunity? How is the product you're bringing to the set different and better? It's innovative, but not too innovative that it scares them away. They need to know what it is. So really understanding the shelf and the competitive set 
and how your product would fit into it, which with little bots, it was just a really cool innovation and it does really well online because there's more, you can have that content around the education, people that are searching for these like paleo diet, great foods for paleo, we can come up, but in retail, it's just, you have maximum like two or three seconds and that's generous to catch someone's eye and convince them they should buy it. So fortunately with Whole Foods, we did develop a good relationship with them and they're really excited about the brand and the mission and the ingredient they bought into that. Maybe it wasn't this product line, but they bought into our company and the brand. So that was really good because, but still at the end of the day, and that's, that's a generous relationship. I think some of these smaller like Erwan or some of the smaller natural chains might be more open to this, but especially when you get into the big boys, Target, Kroger, HEV, et cetera, they're not messing around um, unless you've already proven and sold a big product to them before. So I just did have a good relationship with our regional buyer at Whole Foods. And I did come to them and I was like, Hey, this isn't, we all love little box and there is, you know, a group that here that loves it and it will probably take off in retail at some point, but not as fast as any of us wants it to. And especially given the environment we're in where we can't sample for the foreseeable future, which we really couldn't for over two years. And even now, now we finally can, and it's more normal, but we need something that's going to sell buckwheat faster and just infiltrate the market faster. So, but you have to be the advocate for your own brand or company always. And so we were proactive in coming up with that and, and especially if you do have something like Whole Foods, like open to working with you, you don't want to just come and be like, I don't think this is it with nothing, you know, ready to sub it in with. So we had Cluster Bucks ready. Yeah. Well, wait, did, so you are the one that said, I don't think that these, that the crunch is going to work. Yeah. They didn't say to you. So, but why would you do that? Why would you even say that instead of letting them say to you, no, this product isn't really. And then you're like, well, okay, what about this? You know, I guess I'm thinking like, why would you stab yourself in the foot essentially and, and assume that they may not want to take it? I wasn't like, Hey, take them off the shelves. Like I'm not going to encourage that. So they were on the shelves. Yeah, they were on the shelves and we were already pitching, but I knew cluster bucks would sell better. I knew this was how we were moving forward in retail. So why wouldn't we give the opportunity to our first and biggest and best retail partner at the time? So you're saying that the the crunch was on the shelves and maybe not performing well. Is that what you're saying? And then you were trying to think of something else that could perform better. Yeah. So we were already coming up with it and we're like, and basically also with these big retailers, they have category reviews, depending on the retailer can be strict. So like, let's say it's like, well, I think we launched the Lil Bucks. Well, technically they were supposed to launch in March of 2020, didn't hit the shelves till September of 2020. And by then, September 2020 was when we were submitting for the functional snacks for Cluster Bucks. So I was like, hey, let's talk about Lil Bucks. We have this new product, Cluster Bucks. We're excited about it. You know, I wasn't like, hey, Lil Bucks is doing shit. Let's look at this new thing. But everyone can, you know, like, read between the lines and everyone can look at data. I mean, I still was a little gutted that, you know, it's like my first baby, my first product, and it wasn't given the chance that it deserved in Whole Foods, especially as a founder, a first-time founder, a creative founder. It's your baby. You put a lot into it, but being open to just look at the data, look at what works. It is a business. You want it to make money. 
what's the best way to do that and just being open to changing and when you say data did they come to you with the data or did you do your own research well whole foods this is rare in terms of retailers but whole foods gives you total access to the data portal so you can see how many units scan at each store per week so we could see in chicago like wow there's some unit stores selling like seven to ten units per SKU per store per week which is insane for our category like purely elizabeth for example who's like the queen in granola i think they usually do like four to six which people pay a lot of money for that data so if anyone listening <laughs> and you sign terms and conditions of confidentiality <laughs> yeah no not, no i found i don't know you know how i got access to that but um, and lots of research spending a lot of time thinking about this but then other places like omaha nebraska like we were lucky if we were selling a unit a week like it was and they also had us i mean this is the problem when you're innovating and you're first to do something in your i don't know in a category like they had our like cacao sprouted buckwheat and savory lentils because i was doing a road trip to colorado and we stopped at the omaha store and i was like all right this is just not like who's gonna buy their chocolate buckwheat seeds next to their like like Maya Kaimal curry <laughs> and lentils. It's not what you want. So what's next for the brand next year or just, you know, where's the brand going? And what's some final advice you have for entrepreneurs that are thinking about building their business? Next year, we're really excited. We've moved a lot of our supply over to totally regenerative organic certified ingredients starting with the buckwheat but also just moving down the chain of what we use so starting to have a really big measurable impact on soil in the U.S. which is so cool and with that there's some pretty exciting retailers that believe in cluster bucks particularly that will be launching into early next year and we just launched we're launching on Thrive Market next week and just launched an HEB, King Supers, Fred Meyer. So it's been a whirlwind. But then, yeah, I mean, advice I would give to any entrepreneur, gosh, I think the biggest thing and the thing that I learned that, again, would have been helpful to know sooner is know thyself and don't feel like you have to do anything. I think a lot of entrepreneurs naturally are perfectionists or feel like, that pride that they need to do everything, but that's just never going to work. So I think the people that are successful faster know when to like buckle down and do it themselves and get it done and know when to ask for help and allow yourself breaks and grace because it is a very imperfect road. And then I don't think it's ever perfect. No, I know there is no such thing as perfection in anything in life. No, from yeah. my perspective, I don't, yeah, there's no such thing as perfection in relationships, perfection in business, perfection in ourselves, other people, everything in life. <laughs> yeah. So being okay with that, being okay with un uncertainty and that it is a bumpy road. And instead of working your butt off 24 seven until you sell the business or move on or whatever, it's like, take care of yourself. And what about trust? When you are thinking about, you know, when you're delegating all this stuff, especially finance, right? Finance is your, your, your business basically being, you know, overviewed financially by someone else. How do you think about, you know, finding the right person and filtering for trust and knowing that 
because you're not taking a look or I don't know how often you're taking a look, I guess, but. Oh, I mean, I still do the cash flows and like, I'm pretty on it with that, but just like mostly QuickBooks because I am like more accounting. Right. So you're still overseeing it. You're just not in the day-to-day details of it. And therefore you're able to have someone else who enjoys doing that take over for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause when you say, I don't touch that or I don't mess with that, that I was like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of overseeing it, but I think it's funny with finance and partic- accounting and finance in particular, I was able to interview people, interview their clients, find someone with experience, find someone that tr- I trust and then let them do their thing. It did. Even with the accounting firm, they were like, Emily, you need to just stop touching QuickBooks now. And like you analyze the weekly reports and like look at the cash flows and you have the ultimate last day, but stay out of the day-to-day and let them do what they do. Where I had a harder time letting go and luckily have a great marketing manager who managed up well was in marketing because that's where I'm really good at marketing and I love marketing. And so even when I hired a marketing manager, I was still like, oh, but like, should we be doing this? Or like I'd randomly do a marketing project. They're like, no, like let us do our job that you hired us to do. And then were you working with an agency? No, I have an internal marketing manager. Okay. It's good to have someone who can voice that and say to the founder, Hey, can you back up? But I think that's pretty rare. (laughs) I think what ends up happening is maybe they don't speak up and then they feel, you know, I I don't know. It's great that they can communicate that with you. I, I find that I think that that's tough to find in a personality. I mean, I try to have with all the, anyone on my team, a monthly check-in that's more high level and like, how are things going for you? This is your platform to think like, is there anything high level, whether it's related to your job or not, that you would love to see with the business? How am I, what am I doing wrong? Like not wrong, but like, how can I be a better leader? How am I getting in your way? So that's how we were able to facilitate these conversations and give them the floor where it's not scary to say those kinds of things and I actually did have an employee once where they we would I'd give her the floor she said everything's great and then everything wasn't great and that's kind of where you need to find those people that are going to be take the opportunities to when given yeah to share (laughs) that's how we all get better and I know like I'm especially being a solo co-founder that has aggressive or not solo I'm a solo founder, no co-founder with aggressive ADHD. There's a lot of things that I will do great. And there's a lot of things that I do not. And so I'm like, please speak up. <laughs> yeah. And so now, you know, no, you know, with your ADHD and that kind of, you know, you learned that you had it and now you, you're kind of going through and you're kind of like dealing with it. How do you kind of, how are you dealing with it? How does one deal with it after they, after they realize that this is something they have? There's a lot of resources out there specifically for ADHD and things you can do in your day-to-day to manage it and like set alarms when you know you need to leave or before meetings because you get spaced out and hyper-focused on a project it, or like all those things. But I think the biggest thing that helped me, well, also medication, is just taking away the shame around it because I think I would spend so much energy spiraling that like why in the early days, for example, shipping out products, a lot of like very early e-commerce brands ship out of their apartments 
or they spend like a couple days a week, they ship on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they pack the boxes, they label them and they take them to the post office. Sounds simple enough for me, not, does not make sense. I'm chaotic. It was so hard for me. And I'm like, look at these other early entrepreneurs, why they're shipping, like, so you need to, and you suck if you can't do it. And so creating this like story where I wasn't good enough, wasting time and energy and putting myself down because I couldn't ship like the other early entrepreneurs. And then ultimately, you're, I'm never going to be good at it. So no shame in outsourcing that, even if it's something someone else can do with no problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for joining me on the show and sharing your story. Little Bucks is a cool brand and appreciate you sending over some samples and I wish you the best of luck. Yes, thank you for trying and hopefully you can enjoy some super snacks on any holiday travel you have. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.